Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Phil Muscatello and Finpods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Shares for beginners. Weekend watch list. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we take a close look at an individual company that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how Stockopedia screens for value. Joining me today is Chris Batchelor, and we're talking IDP Education Limited, ASX Code, IEL. So Chris, tell us about the IDP Education story. So IDP Education is a business that's been around for a long time, about 50 years to be exact. They came onto the listed markets back in 2015 when they were spun out of uh, Seek Investments, part of the Seek business empire. And the chairman himself, he's been with the business prior to listing, so a lot of history there. And the CEO, on the other hand, is quite new. She only was appointed earlier this year in February and replaced the previous CEO, Andrew Barkler. Now, Andrew Barkler has just joined the board as a non-executive director. So in terms of the management of the business, they're, they're really uh, well equipped there. What does IDP education do? Well, as the name suggests, they're in the education area, but in particular, they focus on two main uh, components. One is that they are the co-owners of what's known as IELTS, the International English, English Language Testing System. Now, anyone who's had friends or themselves have had to do a an English proficiency test to get into a university in Australia or indeed many other countries will be very familiar with the IELTS uh, testing system. So they own uh, or they co-own that business and that particular test is accepted by over 11,500 organizations throughout the world and they deliver those tests in over 80 countries. So it's, it's one of two 
major exams that are used to test for English proficiency. Over half, about 55% of their revenue comes from that English language testing. But the other big component to their business, uh, 36% of revenue, in fact, is a student placement service. And so what that means is that for students from various countries, in particular Asian countries and especially uh, India, when they wish to study uh, overseas, they approach IDP and, and help to get placed into a university in one of those nations, and in particular Australia, New Zealand, USA, Canada, and the United Kingdom. And last year, they placed over 84,000 students into courses throughout those countries, and that uh, equated to $351 million in revenue. Now, they do have two smaller components to their business as well. One is that they provide English language courses, and that's primarily in Cambodia and Vietnam. Uh, they generated $33 million from that, and that grew by 62% in the, in the most recent year, mainly because in Cambodia they had been unable to run classes in the prior year or, or very little, and that uh, rebounded strongly in this um, most recent year. And the other component to their business is the digital marketing and events. And at first, I wasn't sure what that meant, but when I looked into it, what that means is that they've, of course, accumulated lots and lots of data, and they're very technology-heavy, this business. And so what they're able to do is use that data analysis to help their clients, which are universities and, and colleges, help those organizations to source suitable student candidates from around the world. And of course, they charge a fee for, for doing that. And that's actually a reasonably significant part of their business at $48 million in revenue. And um, this company, it's a reasonably uh, large cap, isn't it? It's, uh, it is in the ASX 200, isn't it? It is indeed. It's about $6.6 billion in terms of market cap. Yeah, I always like what, looking at Stockopedia just to see where it is ranked, you know, because it, <laughs> it's... Um, yes, 82nd. Uh, it's always nice to look at it and see where, see where they are on the league table. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, Chris, run us through the numbers. What do they look like? Yeah, okay. So, they've had a really good set of numbers, not just in the last year, but over a long period of time. This company qualifies as what I call a quality compounder. And what that means is that, it, one, it's a high-quality business, but two, it has been able to compound its earnings repeatedly over a long period of time. So, if we look over a 10-year period, revenue has been growing at a compound annual growth rate of 16% over that period. Now, unsurprisingly, there was a dip during the pandemic because, of course, students were unable to travel for study purposes. But that previous trajectory that they were on has now resumed and they're continuing that upward march. Now, earnings have grown even more rapidly with their um, adjusted uh, earnings before interest and tax, commonly referred to as operating income, uh, recording a compound annual growth rate of 22% also over 10 years. So as you can see, those sorts of growth rates over extended periods of time really amount to significant growth in a business. And that's why it is the 82nd largest business on our market today, having only listed in 2015. Now, the most recent year saw very strong growth in revenue, increasing by 24%, and operating income was actually up by 39%. Now, this was largely driven by the student placement division and supported indeed by the English language teaching as we referred to earlier. But student placement into Australia actually saw a very strong rebound with revenue growth of 86%. Um, some of the other things they do, they do do some um, mergers and acquisition type stuff where they acquire different businesses to, to try and expand their operations. And last year, they were able to add 46 new student placement offices. And they've now got offices 
in 35 countries, over 200 offices around the world. Looking at back to the, the testing business, well, that was fairly flat. It was up 1% in terms of the number of tests sat during the last year. And it really varied across the regions. And this um, highlights some interesting points about this business. But they saw a 9% decline in India due to processing delays in Canada. So the Canadian Immigration Department, for whatever reason, slowed down the processing of student visas and indeed rejected a lot of people. And that saw a real um, decline in the sentiment towards Canada. But then testing for all the other markets uh, was strong and indeed volumes were up. In terms of the return on equity, which is a key measure that we like to look at, it's generating return on equity above 30%. Normally, such a high return on equity, you would expect that competitors would start to undercut that. But they've got a really good competitive advantage, and that is in the strength of their brands, in particular the IELTS brand. And, and with that uh, particular product so entrenched as a standard of, of English language proficiency, it's actually very hard for their competitors to chip away at that. So presumably there's going to be an increasing demand. I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of people in India, for example, and a lot of them want to study in countries like Australia and Canada, UK and um, the USA. So you can see that this could be quite a tailwind for them. Yeah, indeed. Um, it, just looking historically over a 22-year period, the growth rate has been 7.1%. Um, now, that is prior to the pandemic, but nevertheless, from 1998 to 2020, 7.1% each year, every year is a very strong rate of growth. And that reflects this sort of macro trend where many developed countries are actually quite keen to attract students from the developing world because developed countries are experiencing skills shortages. I mean, we're familiar with that here in Australia and it's a common theme in many nations. And they've also got the issue of an aging population. So they're putting in place um, policies that are quite supportive of international study and migration. And then on the other side, the developing nations themselves tend to have a higher proportion of younger people in their populations, in particular um, African and Asian uh, nations. And some of their education systems are a bit less developed, so it's attractive for those um, young people to, to study overseas. And so those two factors combining are really making it quite an attractive area, quite a growth area. It has been for a long time, and it looks like there's no reason that that would slow up given those demographics. Now, right now, Australia is actually the most preferred destination for international students. And the reason for that is that there's been some recent changes to student visas, which mean that students studying in a whole range of different courses are able to apply to stay in Australia for an extra two years once they've finished that course and, and work in, in the field that they've studied once they've graduated. And that can in turn lead to a permanent residency, which obviously is attractive. I was interested to read um, recently, I think the figure was the, uh, the average age across the whole of the African continent is 17. It's an incredibly young demographic, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's right. And, and so mm. in many ways, those young people are the future in that um, if you compare that to somewhere like Japan, where there's a, a high proportion of elderly people and they need young people to, to look after them and to, you know, to keep their economy functioning. Yeah, they can't build enough robots quickly enough. Exactly. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Are you picking shares on gut instinct? Buying on press tips or rumours? Do you struggle to find the time to keep up with the research and analysis that goes into evaluating potential stocks? Stockopedia are pleased to offer a special deal to listeners of this podcast, a 14-day free trial and a 10% discount on the first year of membership. Sign up now at y.stockopedia.com sfb. There's no better time to access the most comprehensive, easy-to-use investing toolbox for DIY share investors. 10% off, 14-day free trial and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's y.stockopedia.com sfb. This company has a quality score of 97, but its value score in Stockopedia is very low at 18. What does that mean? Yeah, okay. So, well, I'll explain those two components. Firstly, the quality score reflects the fundamentals of the business. And as we've discussed briefly, the fundamentals of this business are very strong, very high return on capital, return on equity, very high operating margins at um, over 20%. The five-year average is 18.4%, high net profit margins at 15%, and strong cash generation and low debt. So uh, they do have some debt, but their debt to uh, assets ratio is only 27%. So you know, relatively conservatively geared. So all of those sorts of factors combine to create a really good quality score for this company. As I mentioned, it's been compounding as well. And that is also a factor when we look at quality. We, we don't only look at the absolute level of a value today, but we look at the change over, over recent time. And if that's moving in a positive direction, then obviously that's a, a positive for the quality score. Now, as you mentioned, the value score is quite low. What often happens with these quality compounding businesses is that the market's not silly and they're well and truly awake to the fact that this is a really strong and growing business and therefore the stock gets priced up. And what that means in this case is that it's trading on a PE ratio of almost 35. The dividend yield is relatively low at 2%. So those sort of measures that we use when we look at value, um, price to book value nearly 13, that's um, very high. Those values, they're very high. Therefore, we get a low value score because the company is is expensive. There's no two ways around it. You're paying for that growth. If you believe that the growth will continue, then you make that assessment, well, maybe it's worth paying for that growth. And indeed, over the last, since listing, the share price of IEL has increased sixfold. So you you have been rewarded if you've been willing to jump on board. It's always been expensive. I remember looking at this back in 2016 and um, deciding it was too expensive then. I wish I hadn't, but <laughs> there you go. Uh, so you know, it's one of those ones where the market's not going to give it away cheap because it, it recognises the, the strength of this business. So it's got a really strong balance sheet, and they're in the process of allocating some of that capital now. How are they doing that? Yeah, so a um, couple of things. Firstly, that, as I mentioned briefly, they do engage in mergers and acquisitions. So they are looking to build their business by finding different opportunities throughout the world that are a good match with their business. And then they're also 
paying quite healthy dividends. Whilst the yield is low, it's, it's low because of the high price, they are consistently paying and growing their dividends. So in other words, passing capital back to shareholders. So what are the risks from your point of view? Obviously, there's all the, the normal investment risk, particularly with the high price that you need to consider. But some of the unique risks that are associated with this business. Now, I mentioned earlier the situation in Canada where demand had fallen away because of changes in the you know, the government's approach or the immigration department's approach to processing visas there. Now, that's a big risk for this business. They are always subject to the whims and the political pressure of the destination countries on immigration and student visas. So this can lead to big shifts in, in demand. You know, right now, Australia is their biggest market, but you know, there have been times when Australia has been out of favour. Right now, it is uh, in favour. Going back to Canada, we referred to that issue with the student visas, but also back in May of this year, the Canadian government announced that they wouldn't solely rely on the IELTS test for migration purposes. So previously, if you wanted to get a, a visa or a residency in Canada, you had to do the IELTS test. But now they're opening that up to other competing tests. On that, the day that that was announced, the share price dropped 16% because that's clearly, um, obviously, if you've got a monopoly on something and then you don't, that may have a fairly significant impact on your business. And one analyst forecasted that could lead to a 14% decline in net profit. Now, when the UK did the same thing a little while back, they opened up their language testing to other players, and that led to a 10% decline in market share for IDP. So really, that, that regulatory risk, the political risk, is one of the biggest risks that you really do need to be aware of when investing in this business. Unfortunately, it's not one that you can control much. Another aspect of their capital allocation is technology. What are the kind of technology investments that they're making at the moment? Yeah, that's right, Phil. They are investing quite heavily in technology. Now, they sort of pitch their business as having the human component and the technology component, and they try and um, blend those two. So where they're using technology is they're really trying to reach the right students with the right courses. And so as you can tell by the, the size of the numbers that they're dealing with, they have a lot of data on you know, literally millions of students and, of course, 11,500 organizations that accept the IELTS test. So they have heaps of data. And, and what they're really investing in is that whole data analysis, data science, as it's sometimes referred to, type of technologies where they can then analyze and process that and then use that to make the right introductions. So that they, they do it on both sides. One, it, it helps the, um, the customer in terms of the university or the organization. And two, it can really help the student. And the student will put in, for example, the, you know, their, their qualifications and their likes and interests and so forth. And the system can match those up with different organizations from throughout the world that, that may be a good match for that student. And so it really helps uh, streamline the process for the student. And then the, the counsellor, the, you know, the, the human, can step in and talk to the person about those opportunities. Um, what sector is this uh, classified as being in this company? Uh, it's classified as an industrial. Mm. Industrial tends to be a bit of a catch-all type <laughs> of category. <laughs> yeah. So it's classified as professional and commercial services, yeah. Okay. Now, I just always like to go through those sort of things because I think it's important when you're constructing a portfolio to have non-correlated investments as well. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And 
this company is is good in the sense that it doesn't correlate a lot with most of the like it doesn't correlate with mining it doesn't correlate with financial services it's quite independent in that respect and we've seen too like with the pandemic one of the things you would have expected from this business was that they would have got hit really really hard cuz for obvious reasons students couldn't travel but uh, they were hit but they weren't hit anywhere near as hard as you might have imagined and they managed to adjust their business really um, quickly and well and still generate quite significant revenues throughout that period. Chris Batchelor, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Phil. It was a pleasure to be with you. I hope everyone found that uh, interesting discussion about IDP education. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.